That was good. Aloha, Mission Church and Mele Kalikimaka. So excited to continue in uh, the, uh, the, the series of Advent that we are in this year. And, um, and if you weren't aware of this yet, I want to make sure you understand what we're talking about all through this Advent season. And this, this year, the series that we're, we're, we're in is called Looking Through the Lens of Hope, where we see the different themes of Advent through the lens of hope. And so today, as we focus in on peace, we're going to look at peace, but uniquely through the lens of hope. And when we look at peace, I think, through the lens of hope, we see peace. Hopefully, it it brings to life a a new dynamic about the peace that God gives to us. And wouldn't you agree that right now is a great time to have some peace? (laughs) In our our world, in in a global way, there's turmoil. You just have to flip on the news and, and, and listen just for a little while and and you hear of the conflicts around the world and the near conflicts that are about to start. And, and I think we all would agree that, that our world could use some peace. Then in, here in America, we're coming into another election cycle. And there's a collective groan that I think we all have. Because every time we come to this, this time... It fractures our, our nation just a little bit more. And, and wouldn't it be great, instead of the, the bickering and fighting for maybe some peace together, you know? And then something just recently happened. I'm not sure everybody's aware of it. Um, but uh, a, a huge decision has been made that impacts some people that brought about a lot of unrest. The selection committee for the NCAA football (laughs) left out two undefeated teams from the national championship playoff games and allowed two one-loss teams into the playoffs. What is this world coming to? It stirred up a lot of unrest and a lack of peace for, was it Florida State? Yeah, Florida State and, um, and a small college called Liberty University that also went undefeated in this conference. It's not one of the big five, so guess what? You don't get to play in the national championship. Anyway, those were some decisions that were made. And all of the unrest that I have mentioned doesn't include Anything that's happening in your home, in your workplace, in your families, and the struggles that that you and I face on a daily basis. So in reality, church, we live in a in a broken world, right? The world that we live in is it's, it's a difficult place right now. But believe it or not, it's always been difficult. And here's some good news, that Jesus, when he was born, was born into this same world that we live in. The world of Jesus was full of sin. The world of Jesus had great sorrow in it. The world that Jesus was born into was just like ours. 
It was broken in, in so many ways. And when Jesus came into the world, he experienced the full range of the things that you and I experience. The, the brokenness for sure. But hopefully within all of that, there is some great joy. But also because we live in this broken world, a lot of sadness as well too and sorrows. And Jesus understands all of that. He, he lived a life that went through all of that, he experienced the same things that we have. And so, as you go through the challenging times of your life in this world, amidst the brokenness in our country and around the world, understand this, that you're not alone. We, we, we journey together, and we have Christ to lead us through this. And as he leads us through these times... I'm so grateful for the, the scriptures that were read as we lit the candles today because it's the very passage that, that I'll be preaching on from Isaiah chapter 9. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn there. And it is the prophet Isaiah who shares this prophetic word about who the coming Messiah is going to be. And so in, in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, Lena Rangel read it so beautifully just a moment ago. Thank you, Lena, for sharing that verse with us. But hear the word of the Lord again. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and everybody say it with me, Prince of Peace. Amen. This coming Messiah, this, this one that was to be born, this Jesus, we know, because we live on this end of the prophecy. Jesus has become the Prince of Peace. This prophecy was, came, could come to life when Jesus was born. And the whole theme of, of peace and Advent comes because of Jesus. So, Let's take a look at what this, this title, Prince of Peace, really means and how that can apply into our lives. This word prince, the Hebrew word for prince is this word called, it's, it's pronounced this way, seir. Everybody say seir. That means prince. And that word has with it the connotation of, of, of command with authority. All right? A prince has the command that goes with the authority invested in the sire, the prince. And you can understand like that that's the title of given to some people that could command authority. And you can easily see this, this prince title and meaning be fulfilled in who Jesus is. He surely has command with authority, doesn't he? As the son of God. It's an accurate description of Jesus. He has command with authority. But, as you read the Bible, and as I read the Bible, you know what we do not see? We do not see Jesus use this authority and command how we typically, typically see command and authority being used. Jesus never barks at his disciples and... You know, you're not doing it right. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's not like that at all. Jesus, Jesus doesn't come across 
as drill sergeant or Gordon Ramsay in the kitchen. <laughs> no, he's not like that at all. Instead, this is what the Bible says about Jesus. He teaches with great authority and he commands obedience by how he lives his life. And that the very thing that Jesus teaches is how he lives. Jesus doesn't ask or tell his disciples to do things that he's unwilling to do and command people to do things that are beneath him. In fact, you hear me say this quite often, one of the things that I love, love, love about Jesus is that he never asks us to do anything that he himself hasn't already done first. I mean, think about this, right? All of the difficult things the Bible teaches us, Jesus has already done. I'll give you some great examples. The Bible tells us to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your strength. Because this is the first and the greatest commandment. And the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. As Jesus lived on this earth, what did he do? He loved God with all his heart, soul, and strength. And he loved his neighbor as himself. He did what he taught others to do. What about the whole difficult message of humility? That's a hard one for some people, right? To be humble. And yet, the example that Jesus gave to us was when he bent down and got on his knees and he got a basin and towel and he washed the feet of his disciples. Talk about humility. And when he got done, he got back up, he put on his robe, and he said to his disciples, you call me teacher and Lord, and that's exactly who I am. Now that I, your teacher and Lord, have washed your feet, you go and do likewise. He always does what he teaches us to do first. Oh, I love that. I could go on about forgiveness and the hard teaching of forgiveness and as Jesus nailed to the cross, looking down on all the people because he was elevated. That's why he looked down. One of his final prayers was, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing to the very people who put him there. I mean, you talk about somebody that taught with authority and commands obedience because they lived their, he lived his life precisely doing what he taught others to do. And I could go on about sacrifice and surrender, but I think you get the message. And I hope that you love Jesus for that very same reason. Because Jesus always, always does what he teaches us to do. And so we have this beautiful prince who commands with authority. He teaches with Authority, but he commands with the example of the life that he lived. Jesus is our example. And so as we look at Jesus for our example of peace, 
We can look even in the midst of the difficult and challenging circumstances that we continue to live in. So let's take a look at this word peace. Peace, like you may already know, because the word peace is one of the most, uh, the, the word for peace in Hebrew is one of the most known Hebrew words of all, the word shalom. And, and you've probably heard that before. And, and you probably already have heard the teaching I'm about to give you. And if not, then, then this is why I'm giving it. But the word shalom means peace. But it's, it has a very broad definition of, of, of peace beyond what, what we often give as a definition for the word peace. In Hebrew, the word shalom is is, is a greeting, kind of like in Hawaii, the word aloha is a greeting. And the reason why they're the same is because you can share that greeting in your comings and in your goings. And so in Hawaii, if you see someone coming, you say aloha. And then as they leave, after you have a conversation, aloha, right? And then in, in Hebrew, you can say shalom. As you greet someone and as they leave, you say shalom. But in, in America, in English, you, you don't do that, right? Because we have different words for it. If you came to me first thing in the morning and I said, goodbye, <laughs> wouldn't that be disorienting? Or after we had a conversation and you're about to leave, I say, hello, and as you're leaving, it's just weird, right? We don't do that. But, but in, in Hebrew, the word shalom could come, could, could be used as in your comings and your goings. But in that coming and in that greeting of the comings and goings, there's a message of wholeness and being completed. When you use the word shalom, it has that definition. And so, as you as you as you greet people with shalom, it's more than a hello as they come to you and a goodbye as they leave. That greeting comes with a beautiful blessing of wholeness. And completeness. And so as you greet someone, that greeting is, may you be complete in, in your relationship with me. When you say goodbye, you, you, you're, you're blessing someone by, by, by blessing them with, your, with a wholeness. That, that you would be made whole as you go in your, on your way. And so it's, it's more than just the acknowledgement of your presence. It comes with a beautiful blessing as well, too. I love that understanding. It's, it's almost like aloha. It has a deeper meaning than just the acknowledgement of your presence as you come and go. But then there's also an even deeper and just a, a much greater definition for shalom that the Bible acknowledges and recognizes. And as Jesus is our Prince of Peace, it's even more than just the prince of wholeness and being complete in your comings and goings. But the beauty of this word shalom, as Jesus is the prince of peace, is the understanding that shalom is the spiritual harmony brought about by a person's restoration in their relationship with God. So shalom is not just between you and I, but shalom is this restoration of the kind of relationship 
that God desires to have with us. And not just the kind of relationship that we want to have with God. And there's a great distinction between the two. And shalom is embodied in the relationship that God desires to have with us. We have peace with God and not just an absence of conflict, which is so, how so many people define peace. If, 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 if there's no conflict, then, then, then we're living in peace. But for God, it goes so much deeper. For God, it's the harmony that we have as we restore our relationship with him. And then, in that, we find favor from God in a whole and complete relationship with him. And so, understanding that that is shalom, let us all look through the lens of hope and look at peace. Look at shalom. And that's the shalom that I want you to see as we look through the lens of hope to see peace, to see the kind of shalom that God offers to us in a restored relationship with him according to his values and not ours. And this shalom is offered to everyone. But here's the problem, right? Not everyone experiences this kind of peace. It's true. Not everyone experiences the kind of peace that God desires to give through the Prince of Peace. And the hope of peace now comes through Jesus being who he says he is, our Messiah, our Savior, and our Lord. And in that, the, the, the relationship that we have with God is, is where God would have it to be with us. And I'll tell you why that's important. Because this, this whole, complete relationship that, that brings favor from God, right? This relationship that we have with God. This is what helps us in the challenges that we face and the conflicts that we have in the world. And the way it helps us is, it gives us a very different perspective on the challenges, on the conflicts, on the problems that we face in this world when our relationship with God is where God would have it to be. We get a different perspective as we look into the world through God's eyes. And this comes about when, when we live into Another great teaching that Jesus lived as he taught. And that's from Matthew 6.33, where Jesus says, Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. We have to begin by seeking God first above all things in this world. And our focus when we seek God first, we take our eyes off of the problems and the things of the world and we fixate on what brings the most glory and honor to God and to, and, and to seek his kingdom that way. When we seek God's kingdom 
and righteousness as our first priority, it makes the things of the world look different. All of the things that you desire and want, they pale in comparison when the first priority of our lives is to give honor and glory to God. You guys see what I'm talking about here? And what matters to this world doesn't matter to God. And when we are living in the place where our hearts are made complete with God, when God's favor rests upon us, when this shalom becomes a part of who we are, then the values of God become our values. The the timing of God becomes our timing. The will of God becomes something we seek after and live for each and every day of our lives. That's what makes all the difference in the world when we experience God's shalom. But the problem is this, that this world tries to offer us its version of peace. The peace that the world tries to offer is so different from the peace that comes from God. Everyone in here and everybody outside these doors desires peace, right? No, no one says, I want to constantly live in conflict. <laughs> there might be some people who do, but it's not, a, I don't think, a desire of theirs. We all want peace. But the problem is, church, most people want peace their own way. Think about it. Because I'm like that sometimes. And maybe you're like that sometimes too. I want peace my way with my own values and I want it on my time. That's how I want my peace. And that's why the peace of God is so different than what the world has to offer. The world's peace falls way, way, way short of the shalom that God offers. The world's peace may ease conflict, but it will never take away conflict. It, It may ease problems, but it won't resolve problems. Because shalom is so much more than the absence of conflict. Shalom is more than a ceasefire. Shalom is more than the silent treatment so you don't argue anymore. Shalom is the foundation of a healthy whole relationship that flourishes first with God and then with each other. That is what the Prince of Peace has come to bring. That is why in John chapter 14, verse 27, thank you again, Lena, for reading this passage for me. Jesus said, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you, but I do not give to you as the world gives. 
Jesus is saying to you and me, my peace is very different. The peace that I'm offering you, it's nothing like what this world has to offer you. So don't be afraid and don't be troubled. My peace is so much greater. The peace that Jesus gives us, again, it's not the peace the world has to offer. The peace that Jesus gives us begins when we are reconciled in our relationship with God according to God's values and not our own. In God's time and not our time. According to God's will and not my will. That's the huge difference. Because in our world, we try to do all of the things to get peace our own way. And and we don't include God and his values to experience the peace that, that God has to give to us. So peace begins through a reconciled relationship with God. Jesus is the Prince of Peace because Jesus instigates peace. He's the instigator of peace and he does that by his authority as he teaches but by his command through his example. He brings peace. And Jesus did this in his example when he gave up himself fully on the cross for you and for me so that we could be reconciled with God. So that your sins and my sins are not held against us in God's eyes. Jesus took the penalty of those things so that we can have relationship with God the right way, His way. Not by me following rules, but by the divine grace of God at work in our lives. And so Jesus calls us, when it comes to peace, for two things. And this is your takeaway today, and mine. The first, I've been pounding this drum again and again and again, be reconciled with God. His way, not my way. Be reconciled with God. Seek first His kingdom and His righteousness because that's what He desires. And in the second, Jesus desires us to join Him in reconciling the world back to God by being a peacemaker. Jesus invites us to experience the blessing of being like him by being a peacemaker. Jesus is called the Prince of Peace and he invites us in Matthew chapter 5, verse 9, when he said, Blessed are the peacemakers because they will be called children Jesus is the Son of God, and we are God's children. And what I want to share with you about this whole journey with Jesus of being a peacemaker is this, that for Christians, you and I, the goal of Christians is to be more and more like Jesus. The relationship that we have with him should transform our lives from being who we are so that we can become more and more like him. And one of the ways 
that we become more like Jesus is by actively being a peacemaker. And Matthew 5, 9, where Jesus says, Blessed are the peacemakers because they will be called children of God. That word peace there, for us, it's more than us being a vessel like this water bottle to hold God's peace, for God's peace to be poured into us through a right relationship with Him. That, that's a good picture. But even, an even better picture is for this bottle to become a pitcher where it's filled so that it can be poured out. And that's what the, the, the message of being a peacemaker is. Because it's not just for me to experience the full measure of God's peace, but the invitation to be a peacemaker is that I would take the peace that I receive from God and share it with the world to be a peacemaker. I keep saying California is so dry. Hawaii, I never had to drink water during my sermons. I have to finish two bottles before I get done with one sermon. It's so dry. But let me continue. We are called to be peacemakers, right? And Jesus calls us to take the initiative to make peace. It's not enough for us to be pacifists to hope that peace will come by doing nothing. That's what pacifists do. They retreat. It's, it's not about avoidance of conflict. That's not how peace is made. It's about taking action and taking the initiative to make peace. Church, peace never happens. By chance. Think about all the times when you desired for peace to happen for you. It doesn't just happen by chance. Peacemakers do not avoid conflict. That's why shalom is not just the absence of conflict, it goes much deeper. Sometimes peacemaking creates conflict. Jesus was the Prince of Peace and yet his life was surrounded by conflict. It was surrounded by conflict because what Jesus was trying to do was initiate the relationship for people to be reconciled back to God. And in doing so, the conflict swirled around him. And if we go about doing what Jesus called us to do, to take over what Jesus told us that we ought to do as the church, to be doing the work of the kingdom by being a peacemaker, taking this message of peace to those that we know and love and share the love of Jesus with them and the peace that God comes to bring. And the blessing of doing that the blessing of being a peacemaker is that we will be called children of God. Children that partner with Jesus, the Son of God, to continue the work that he started 
of reconciling people back into a right relationship with God according to God's values and not mine. So I'm almost at the end. Just bear with me for another four minutes. I say that so you can have peace. (laughs) So you're saying, Pastor Gordon, if my relationship is made right with God, that'll bring peace in all of my problems? That'll solve all my problems? If you heard me say that, then you might have heard me wrong. I didn't say that at all. This is what I want you to hear, is that a right relationship with God changes me. It doesn't take away my problems. The problems may still be there and remain for a long time. But when my heart is made right with God, I see my problems and my challenges and my conflicts all in a new light, the way God helps me to see them. Because my focus now is not on my problem, it's on God. And that changes all of the things that I see, my perspective in this world. And so that is why the Apostle Paul can say this, and I begin to understand what he's saying in Philippians chapter 4, verse 7. He says that the peace of God that transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. How does that happen? Sometimes it's a mystery. It transcends our understanding. But I have experienced it. I know it to be true that when I fix my eyes on Jesus, I see my problems very, very differently. And I can experience peace because that is where peace is found. My problems may still be there. And I think that's why so much of our world struggles with anxiety as we've taken our eyes off of Jesus. In fact, let me just finish by reading this verse for you in its completeness. Philippians 4, beginning at verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. And he addresses this very thing. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. See what he's doing? He's refocusing the church in Philippi back up to God. Turn your attention upon God. What is that old song we used to sing? I should end my songs with my sermons with songs. Like, Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Sing with me. Look full in his wonderful face, and the things of the world will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. And then, verse 7 says, And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Can I get an amen? Amen. Amen.
That peace that Jesus brought when he came into the world as the Prince of Peace is the same peace that Jesus extends to his disciples when he is resurrected again and meets with them for the first time. His first words to his disciples as they were cowering and afraid, he enters the room and he says, Peace be with you. Church, you cannot give away anything you do not have. Today, with hearts wide open, receive the peace that comes from Jesus so that you can be a recipient of peace to share with the world. Would you bow your heads with me? Father in heaven, thank you for sending your son Jesus as the prince of of peace who comes with command and authority but not like the way the world commands with authority. Jesus doesn't yell and shout and get his way. Instead, he's taught us with great authority by the example of his own life. And as we live our lives, may we look to Jesus as our example so that we can find peace because everything that Jesus taught, he did first. And what he did was he looked to you in all things first. Seeking first, Lord God, your kingdom and your righteousness, not by my will, but may yours be done in me. That should be our daily prayer. And when we fix our eyes on you, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross and suffered its shame. When we do that, Lord God, the whole perspective of our lives change because we're fixed on you and not on the problems of this world. And when we're fixed on you, I believe, Lord God, the things of this world grow strangely dim. The anxieties of my life go away. Because I have everything that you would have me to to do. I see you, Lord. And when I see you, I have peace, shalom, wholeness, in right favor with you. May we live into that, Lord God, so that we may be peacemakers in this world, sharing your peace with those that we love around us. Help us to do this well. I pray in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said,